But the fever never took me, so we just go back to the fields. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. We've talked about Texas industrial, ecological, and man-made disasters before, but today we're discussing the worst epidemic outbreak in the history of the Lone Star State, the Yellow Fever Outbreak of 1867. But first... What's your favorite method of avoiding mosquitoes in Texas? Air conditioning. <laughs> Don't go outside. Uh, well, I was say, if you have, do have to go outside, one thing I did not know, Avon makes a product called Skin So Soft, and it's this weird oil. And somebody said, uh, I used to spray that on my horses to keep the bugs off them. Um, it's much more pleasant than, than a regular bug spray. It does a, it does a fair to midland job. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to concur with Mr. McIver and say just don't go outside. Because in Texas, if there's mosquitoes outside, then it's probably too hot to be outdoors anyway. But in a pinch, um, deep woods off with all the DEET. Uh, DEET! DEET. DEET! The, the active ingredient in uh, any good mosquito spray. Yeah. It's also now, good for ticks. <laughs> now, one thing that you can do is you can go down to Clute right after they spray for all the skeeters and go to the Texas Mosquito Festival. No, it's every the, year. the Great Texas Mosquito the Festival. The Great Texas Mosquito Festival. But that, that's more if you're seeking out mosquitoes rather than <laughs> avoiding them. Well, they've just sprayed for them. Uh, so, it's a 22-foot yeah. inflatable mosquito. You can't miss him. Yeah. yeah. Texans experienced numerous epidemics throughout the 1800s. Most tropical and subtropical diseases thrived in southern and coastal Texas, especially in the days before hygiene and a modern understanding of epidemiology. Cholera, yellow fever, smallpox, dengue fever, measles, influenza, diphtheria, and whooping cough affected Texans throughout various regions. Cholera appeared in 1833, with its most notable victims being Jim Bowie's entire family. However, the deadliest cholera outbreak was in 1849, which killed approximately 500 people from northern Mexico to San Antonio by May of that year. During the early months of 1866, measles affected nearly every family in Galveston. As the chief port in Texas, Galveston was frequently visited with outbreaks of various plagues. In 1883, many residents of Galveston suffered with the aches and pains of dengue fever. Galveston's doctors established a quarantine camp in 1899 to house some of the 37 residents affected with smallpox. So, pre-medicine was a rough time to live. Yeah. Yeah. However, the most feared and dreaded tropical disease to afflict Texas was yellow fever. This disease, which was also known as Yellow Jack, Bronze John, Yellow Plague, or El Vomito Negro, is a virus spread primarily through mosquitoes, although this wasn't understood at the time. It was originally of African origin, and the virus probably came to the Caribbean through slave ships. From there, it was spread from coastal parts to the mainland. An insidious disease with the hard-to-identify symptoms in its early stages, it often appears to be a cold until the full onset. After a few days, the disease hits full force, damaging the kidneys and causing jaundice, giving the disease its name. In its last and most fun stages, uh, the victim begins expelling all the contents of his innards tinged with blood, and this gives it its name, the Spanish name, the Black Vomit. Yeah, most diseases that will kill you seem to uh, start out just being a cold, which yeah. makes it fun when you get a cold. 
Because <laughs> you never know. Yep. At least 25 major outbreaks of yellow fever occurred in North America, such as the one in Philadelphia of 1793. Several thousand people died, more than 9% of the total population of the city at that time. The American government, including George Washington, had to flee the city, which was the capital of the United States at the time. The fever in 1793 is the reason why the capital of the United States is no longer in Philadelphia. In many ways, yellow fever was the great defender of the nascent independent nations in the Americas and the Caribbean as European powers tried to put down rebellions or reconquer them. French armies in Haiti, Spaniards in Mexico, and Colombia were wiped out by this dreaded plague. Santa Ana used El Vomito Negro to defeat several sieges of his native Veracruz by rivals from other parts of Mexico. The disease was one of the few that is deadly to adults, but not to small children. Natives who were exposed to the disease as children developed an immunity to it as adults, but adults who had never contracted it before had little chance of survival. There were earlier outbreaks in Texas, most notably in 1854. As the Civil War raged, in 1864, there was an outbreak in a Confederate prisoner of war camp in Milliken, which is in central Texas. It's unknown how many prisoners died, especially since cholera and dysentery were also common in Civil War POW camps. The worst outbreak of yellow fever, though, occurred in the summer of 1867. In 1867, Houston was the military capital of Texas. It was fresh off the Civil War, and it was in the second year of the Reconstruction. General Charles Griffin arrived in Galveston to take command in Texas, but he moved his headquarters inland. Now, at this time, Houston, which had one time been the capital of Texas, was actually smaller than Galveston and was now primarily known just as a mercantile city in the middle of a swamp. Perfect place for yellow fever. Uh, yellow fever was, again, common at the time, but nobody knew how it spread. It picked its victims, seemingly at random. Now, Galveston was starting to show signs that year of a pretty bad yellow fever outbreak, so Griffin's aide suggested that he quarantine the island, but he staunchly refused, and this would be, unfortunately, a fatal mistake. Houston's lifeblood was the railroad, and cotton was still king. In the cotton bales, mosquitoes nested, and the trains took the disease to new locations. Despite Galveston being in the middle of one of the worst yellow fever outbreaks in years, trains still kept running, and the yellow fever was transported via rail straight into Houston. The early symptoms were everywhere, but since they were often confused with the common cold, nothing was done. Then the jaundice started to appear. As the plague spread, the dead piled up quickly. Among them was the hero of the Battle of Sabine Pass, Dick Dowling. Hospitals became overwhelmed with cases. Though only 20% of the infections proved fatal, the sheer number of infected stretched hospitals well past the breaking point. The dead were dumped into a mass grave, which is actually where West Dallas Street runs now in Houston. People got on trains to escape the epidemic, but many were infected and spread the disease as far as Austin and Nacogdoches, and even down the coast of Corpus Christi, and some even made it as far as New Orleans. Snake oil salesmen peddled false cures on street corners, and the city rapidly depopulated itself as people fled as best they could. In Corpus Christi, the scene was just as grim. A Mrs. Helen Chapman wrote in her diary, quote, Almost everyone in town sick. Mr. Mitchell died at noon. All of us weak and miserable. Sickness increasing. Three deaths today. The weather hot and sultry. People tried to escape by going inland or to, onto other islands, like the Curry Settlement on Padre Island, but they just brought the disease with them. San Patricio County, which is a little further south, 
posted armed guards at ferry crossings in order to use deadly force to stop anyone from Corpus Christi. Mrs. Chapman listed the sick and the dead in her diary. July 25th, Mr. Drinker died in the night. July 29th, several deaths in town, much, much distressed. July 31st, Mr. Eastwood died this morning. August 2nd, Mr. Mitchell was buried at midnight Thursday. August 4th, Mr. Palmer, a native of Canada, died this, this morning, buried this evening. August 5th, three deaths today. A young man at Mr. Scott's, Samuel Clemmer, a carpenter who worked for Palmer, and a child on the hill. Oh, no, I was say, this sounds like the worst Glenn Fry song ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it sounds like The Walking Dead. Like, it yeah. does. It, I mean, it really, this is ugh, it's like a horror film. Three doctors and druggists in town worked until they took the fever and died, including Dr. G.F. Johnson. A former slave, Anna Moore Schwey, wrote about the death of the doctor's baby. Quote, When I took the baby's clothes to Mrs. Johnston, the baby was sick with the fever. Mrs. Johnston put it in my arms, and it died while I held it. She took it from me and laid it on the bed. But I didn't take the fever. Mrs. Johnston also escaped. After the plague had raged for six weeks, the editor of the Corpus Christi Advertiser described the calamity. Quote, There is scarcely a house in the city that has escaped either sickness or death. Our pen is inadequate to the task of describing the distress that now prevails among us. The week before, this author's young wife, Mary Grace, died, along with his sister. As fast as the epidemic started, it stopped. When the first cold snap hit southeast Texas in early September, the mosquitoes died, and with them, the spread of yellow fever ended. In a city of 6,492 were confirmed dead, with another 200 deaths unconfirmed or suspected. In today's numbers, it would be as if 300,000 Houstonians died in just two months. Among the dead were General Griffin and his son, as well as the county tax assessor and the postmaster. The death toll was the worst epidemic in Houston's history, and at the time, people still had no idea what the true cause was. Corpus Christi itself lost between 150 and 300 people, maybe up to a third of the population at the time. There were further outbreaks of yellow fever in 1878 and 1897 in Central Texas, but nothing would ever be as bad as 1867. It wasn't until 1881 that a Cuban physician, Carlos Juan Finlay, developed the theory that mosquitoes were the carriers of this disease. The theory wasn't proven until 1900 when another doctor, James Carroll, died from the disease, gaining the necessary proof to convince the world of the true cause of yellow fever. The efforts of Army doctor Walter Reed built upon Finley's and Carroll's work and famously resulted in the defeat of the fever. The early 1900s saw health officials begin a disease eradication program with netting, protective clothing, and breeding ground elimination. Although there were fears and threats of further outbreaks, Texas never suffered from the jetted ugh. Although there were fears and threats of extensive outbreaks, Texas never suffered from the dreaded yellow fever again. Well, for those listening, um, this enactment of The Walking Dead, uh, I mean, it's crazy, right? <laughs> like, it sounds like it. Yeah. It's like... Or perhaps World War Z. Yeah, World yeah. War Z. It's actually like a, a, a Civil War version of, of, like, The Walking Dead. It's crazy. I, I'm always amazed when we do these history stories when it's like, well, he was... Sh- Shot three times and stabbed with a sword cane. He, he lost a lot of blood. And he went to his hotel room. And uh, after three weeks of heavy drinking and rest, uh, he, he recovered. <laughs> and you're like, no antibiotics? No sterile gauze? But uh, I, I don't know how people survived. Um, p- 
pre in this pre modern medicine era. But mm-hmm. uh, this was a this was a, an interesting disease because there actually was uh, reading about the story. There was a theory that it actually might be some kind of uh, strange something given off from uh, uh, waste, like like. So they they moved all of the garbage out of town, and they tried to get mm-hmm. separated. They thought that maybe garbage was actually what was spreading it around, and they tried quarantine. They tried all these things. They could not seem to stop this mysterious virus, and mm-hmm. in the end, it was it was mosquitoes. Yeah, it's brackish water, and that's why after the hurricanes in 1900 in Galveston, and then the other one in the in the, the teens and the hur- the big hurricane that hit Corpus Christi, I've I actually have seen uh, in looking at researching this this subject. Pictures of them dig, digging trenches uh, and draining, draining, draining standing water and poisoning standing water uh, after the the hurricanes, so that there would not be these outbreaks of yellow fever. So by this time they knew couldn't have standing water for very long, or the mosquitoes were going to come out. So they had to eliminate those those breeding grounds because after ten thousand people die in a hurricane, you can't have another the rest of them get killed in yellow fever. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Well, it's interesting in America for a very long time, a historical footnote I found too is that Walter Reed was just commonly given the credit for all of this, of like mm-hmm. solving the yellow plague. But in the in the truth, it was that they went back and said, oh no, it was all built on this Dr. Finley guy. And yeah. he, Walter Reed was aware of it. It just, he was a Cuban physician, so it just was not well, put in history. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, and point of fact, Walter Reed went out of his way to make sure to make people understand that this was Carl Swan Finley had came up with this, this concept. And so he did give him extensive credit, but you know, Walter Reed was an army general and he was the chief surgeon of the army. So he got the credit and they built the Panama canal because Walter Reed was given control to eradicate yellow fever. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting, it was just a really interesting story. I had not know this story um, about this this epidemic, I just kind of stumbled on this digging around for interesting Texas facts, and then it, yeah. uh, it kind of became a fun rabbit. Well, not a fun rabbit hole, a deadly uh, rabbit hole. Um, I, I have a hard time too picturing uh, this kind of a super flu, super virus that would just burn through and you know decimate a third of a population. Like I don't know how people just sort of picked up and moved on with that when it was just like, you know, Ben died today, Thomas died tomorrow, <laughs> but the fever never took me, so we just go back to the fields. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I've been reading reading about and listening to stuff on Yellow Fever because I've been listening to the the Revolutions podcast, and they've talked about in the, in the series on ha- the Haitian Revolution that Famously, Napoleon's French army came over to Haiti and was essentially wiped out when they tried to reconquer the, the beat, you know, put down the slave rebellion, wiped out almost completely. And the same thing happened when Spaniards sent their troops to Venezuela and Colombia to to fight Simon Bolivar. Is you know, half of them would die of yellow fever within within weeks and months. So it was not a. It's one of those wonderful Central African or uh, West African hemorrhagic fevers that. Just is really pretty. Well, you know, it's funny. There's a well, shout out to other podcasts. There's a great podcast um, called Science Versus, and on their one episode, they did Science Versus the Zika Virus, 
they actually uh, take a very scientific look at, at some modern problems and issues, and, and they put apply science to look at it. If it's dangerous, what do we know? What do we not know? But Zika was interesting because they actually talked about the evolution of, of it. It's something that's in the news, it's something people are actually really scared of. And much like yellow fever, if you get it as a child, you develop antibodies to it, and then it never bothers you again. Mm-hmm. And so in these places where this virus has lived for a long time, Kids get a little sick, and then they're fine. But when you put an unexposed adult to it, and they get exposed to this virus, now we're seeing things like the the uh, microcephalia and the and you know these other kinds of of uh, issues that are happening around it. And it just has to do with the fact that you know it it it's a it's incredible. Uh, you brought that aspect that I had no idea about, Sean. That uh, that this was actually a barrier to protect the Caribbean because yeah. it would it would kill you dead. Yeah, every year there was, you know, you'd get it. But um, what I find hamish about, you know, not not necessarily the Texas situation, but the Philadelphia deal, you know, okay, so they had a yellow fever outbreak and, and they moved the capital from Philadelphia. And so where did they pick? A swamp. Yeah. They moved to a swamp. That's, that's <laughs> smart. Maryland. That's smart. <laughs> but yeah, there were other reasons for it. But yes, that's, that's, that's one of the, the ironies of history. Well, from all of us, come and take it. Hug your loved ones tonight and be thankful that you do not have to live with the scourge of the yellow fever. Yeah, and if you have a choice, just stay away from mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. That's yes. the best advice I've heard all day, Scott. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I am Scotticus. We know you love this show, so get out there and tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. In fact, if you're listening to the show when it launches, it's Thanksgiving week. You're going to see lots of friends and family and celebrate all the things you're thankful for if you're in America. So tell them about the podcast. Help them to download it onto their uh, iPhone or Android or whatever they have and get them hooked on Texas history. And if you'd like to support our show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.